You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean. How's it going? David, I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? Good. I'm having a good day. Uh, what about yourself? Uh, fantastic. I, I know that you have an update with the uh, walled garden. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. No, so I'm, I'm recording out of my office today. If it sounds different for everybody, I'm trying my best. But uh, that for the walled garden, when you listen to this, it'll probably be, I already did my meetup on uh, Albert Ellis and how stoicism ties into cognitive behavior therapy. But I'm going to put out an article that is kind of summarizing, summarizing uh, what I'm going to talk about. That'll be in the show notes. Yeah, no, awesome. Um, and de- definitely send the link uh, to me. I definitely want to attend just to see what the Walled Garden is all about and get to know some of the uh, the characters and everything like that. So I think that's awesome news. Good luck tomorrow. And uh, again, by the time this episode published, it's already going to have happened. But, uh, you know, we'll you'll be uh, sure to share that article just so our, re- okay. our listeners Thanks, can. Uh, I'll, I'll put out another uh, tweet from my uh, Prosoke Project uh, website that I, I just write a few things there once in a while. Yeah, awesome. And I, I appreciate the, uh, the consistent likes on Twitter from the Prosoke Project. So we are actually going to be taking a break uh, from our series on Loki on this episode. Loki, our series on Loki being Loki, the cause of, but also solution to all of the Aesir's problems, or you know, vice versa. You can reverse that for an episode with a very special guest. Our good friend Kyle Kuipers actually co-hosts another podcast with his wife Natalie called Pump Talk: A Consideration of the Vanderpump Rules. So I don't know what most of yeah thanks. I don't know what most of those words mean. However, I do know that Kyle will not be talking about Vanderpump, but will be talking about one of his other passions, a relatively modern phenomenon that took the world by storm, and parts of which were directly influenced by Norse mythology. We all know that Norse mythology and Vikings in general are in right now. However, we are not talking about any of the TV shows movies or video games on the subjects, uh, for example, Vikings, Vikings Valhalla, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, The Last Kingdom, Norsemen, The Northmen, God of War Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok, Thor Love and Thunder, Thor, Thor the Dark World, or any Marvel movies for that matter. However, he will be going back a few decades earlier and talking about what is considered to be the first role-playing game, Dungeons and Dragons. Kyle, welcome to Between Two Ravens. Hey, guys. I'm sorry. I was trying to be quiet through that whole intro. I'm Kyle. Nice to meet you officially, guys. Sean, I've known you for a bit, but David, nice to officially meet you. Thank you for having me. And I do want to preface this. I'm a nerd. I've played D&D for such a long time, but I feel like there's going to be someone out there who corrects me on something. So you can, but it's okay. I think... We'll get through it together, but super excited to tell you what I know about it and just what I've learned since I've I've played since I was eight years old. So I've been playing for over 20 years. So I played a little bit in 2020 and I think I made Sean play like twice, but, uh, Oh God, we're going to, it's going to be crash course, crash course for you, Sean. So I'm excited about it. David, well, once COVID started, David, uh, you know, try to get my, our friends and I to play Dungeons and Dragons virtually. And I think I was so lost at what was going on. And I created this like Viking character named Sigmund. Sean yeah. would be messaging me, asking me questions about like if this was a good idea or not. Sean, Sean missed the first uh, the first planning session, so then we just kind of threw him in, and we'd make up stuff that happens to his character when he's gone. Oh yeah, I, I think that's the, the best uh, part about it when you can't get get everybody on the same schedule is having right. the NPC then become an NPC and do ridiculous stuff. I think the uh, the highlight of my Dungeons and Dragons experience, which seems like it spanned three hours but was probably really 20 minutes was i rolled well one time and i got to kill somebody and i was like oh my character sigmund cuts off this character's leg with his battle axe and that was the highlight of sigmund's (laughs) (laughs) sean's dungeons and dragons character but i can see why it's it could be considered a very fun game you know once you get into the specifics and you know really get into the storytelling and everything like that um oh yeah but i am i am curious uh well, I guess before we get into the history, um, I just wanted to clarify that Kyle and I are um, co-workers and we've known each other for the last few years now. So without saying anything that is going to get us both fired, Kyle, um, maybe just talk to us a little bit more about yourself outside of, you know, <laughs> your outside of your um, expertise on the game and your or the fun that you have playing the game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we work together. 
I cherish my outside time like you guys do. So I also have a, another podcast. You kind of teed it up a little bit. I don't know what crossover will be between Vanderpump Rules and Bravo reality <laughs> shows in this, but I'm absolutely smitten with the idea that we can find at least one or two people who might like both and might listen to the show but i'll there's, shout you out on my show too but there's got to be at least three people out there oh, yeah, i'm wondering there has to be. yeah they just love norse mythology and vanderpump rules absolutely you have a twitter you have a twitter for the podcast oh yeah it's at talk pump t-a-l-k-p-u-m-p we're all over Instagram and Twitter, but uh, talkpump at gmail.com if you ever just want to hit us up. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say probably eclectic is <laughs> is my like outside life. I, I love a little, I just like living in reality. It all, like there's always a through line. Like I, one of the reasons I love listening to your guys' podcasts, and sorry, this is just a plug for past episodes. If you haven't listened, go back, subscribe, rate review, five-star review for these guys is the through line of humanness and everything our other podcasts is a lot about like the human journey being unfolded in front of you so because what you're doing is you're seeing you know if you're in one of the newer shows like southern charm or, or uh you know vanderpump rules or some of these more renewed shows where it's like a younger cast you get to see them growing up in front of millions of people and some of the older shows are about like the real housewives which are you know kind of well-to-do socialites in in society but i think the one thing that like draws them together to some of my other passions i'm a big passionate uh, i'm very passionate in playwriting writing you know we were talking about stoicism i'm, I'm a big reader of stoicism dungeons and dragons i love storytelling and then the hero's journey all because there's like one thing in common with all those which is the human element which is mm -hmm. the evolution of people um and i think i'm most enamored by the fact that regardless if it's like year thousand and you got someone bashing someone's head over, open with an axe or now there are like through lines of the same temperaments the same personalities and the same journeys that people go through they're just different you know like mm -hmm. they're just there's just a different society behind it but like the human emotions are always the same they're just, yeah, they I'm just evolve. remember that but sean really emphasized that yeah the norse gods are very human right they have the flaw yeah. Have the complicated Thor is hangry, right? That's my favorite. <laughs> they are hangry all the <laughs> time. Podcast. Yeah. If you're th if you're if you're Loki, you're hangry to like sh fuck shit up all the time. <laughs> so. Yeah, and it, that's something that like I didn't really think about until like after we started the podcast. Like my third or fourth time reading these stories, like Thor is always hangry, and there's like one episode where Loki gets into an <laughs> eating contest and loses, but he does very well. So you know, consumption is a big part of Norse mythology, which I did not expect, but yeah. Yeah, I was also going to say, like, there's also, like, one of the best elements of humans that you see over time is a struggling and overcoming uh, adversity. Mm -hmm. You know, taking adversity, even if it's, like, a, a fun character like Loki, who, like, I was just re-upping, like, through YouTube videos and readings online, and I just realized, like, almost... <laughs> Almost every story of Loki is him just screwing it up and have it, how he gets out of a situation yeah. and and persevering and that perseverance and being clever and the human cleverness that lives in everybody. Those are some of my favorite stories is yeah. when someone messes up and they put themselves in a crappy situation and the creativity of, of getting out of that situation. We, um, we put up the, uh, the, the Twitter post about the trickster archetype and we got great responses. <laughs> Things I wouldn't have thought of, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow, right? But he's oh yeah, of, right. That's a great one. Uh, Bugs Bunny and Wiley e. Coyote and these ones like cartoon characters, like they're the yeah modern Loki. They're annoying, but you love them so much because like there's something viscerally human about like making mistakes, and there is something like you know you, there there's a reason it's a trope that people love a uh, comeback story because mm -hmm. we do we see failure in our own lives. And we want for ourselves to know that it's okay to make failures and that we can mm -hmm. come back from them. And you might have a Loki character who is, is maybe, you know, to the extremes of that, where you're like, maybe I don't want you to come back from that. Maybe I want you to kind of feel the fire. But, but there is something cathartic about like watching someone you know, mess things up and then get back to it, as it were. I was just thinking, you know, we talk about, yeah, like religion and different things quite often. And we're getting great, like, community on Twitter lately where people were saying, like, you know, they thought Loki being the trickster was going to be this evil 
like Satan kind of character, right? Yeah, right. And Satan's very one-dimensional, especially in the Bible. There's just not much about him. But then this idea, right, is you talk about storytelling, right? To have a real story of what is the trickster really about, right? And, and how do you see that in yourself? You don't see Satan in yourself necessarily, but uh, yeah, actually a topic we're going to look at. I think everybody has a little bit of nihilist in them too, where they're yeah. like, I know I can't knock over that vase, but I kind of want to see what happens. Like that's how you learn, right, too? Like that's also a very human thing. Like you learn the most when you make mistakes. It's very cool to think about like the three characters that we've gone over primarily in this podcast are uh, Loki, which we're doing now. Previously we did Thor and Thor like often fails, but he often like satisfies that role as being a hero. And then our first series was on the God Odin, who Mm -hmm. like one big theme of that was sacrifice, like sacrificing, you know, physically or emotionally, yeah, physically like with the eye or just Mm -hmm. like emotionally like sacrificing yourself to become better and yeah i guess maybe it is all physical because he hung himself for nine nights and you know one point um just to make himself a better person or like make himself stronger emotional suffering too right there's part of that yeah yeah Yeah. so it it, it is kind of cool and i know i've discussed this some often on the podcast i just love the fact that the norse gods are not perfect yeah and like they also like in odin's case he shows a lot of regret of his previous accent like actions and that kind of leads up to a the, the poem Havamal, which we had a three-part series on where he's like delivering life advice as like a potential like old man or an old God. And it's like very cool to think about like these arcs, which I know David has talked about. I know Kyle, you want to talk about it. So it's, the, it's the all hero really journey. Cool. I was about to bite yeah. my tongue, tongue going, that's apotheosis. That's the ultimate boon. He brings all <laughs> this knowledge from ripping his eye, you know, through pain comes the knowledge of everything and his wisdom from that. And the, the other piece of it is giving it away once you have it because you bring it back to society you give it away and that's that's, that's the hero's journey yeah. yeah that's the hero journey right there awesome uh, should we talk a little bit about what dungeons and dragons is? yeah for anybody yeah. listening who just has no idea what that is i, I hope most people kind of have an idea but this will be fun this will be fun it's a boring old man story so like i think the 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 best part about the story of Dungeons and Dragons is because it truly was a collaboration of multiple people. I think one of the temperaments of fans really gravitate to one of the main characters, which is Gary Gygax. And I'm not sure if you're from either of you are familiar with the creator of Dungeons and Dragons, Gary Gygax, right? I heard the name before. I probably heard it from you, actually. So yeah, probably. You've heard of him if you've ever played D anD. d He's he is the patron saint of of Gary uh, of of D anD. d There's there's Gary Con. Like they have con conventions. People go to Wisconsin just to see, to, to walk the steps of the streets that he lived in. But but and maybe um, I heard from a Stranger Things as well. But I could oh, be yeah, wrong there. Probably probably. Yeah. I mean, it's in the zeitgeist now. You're seeing it all over like TikTok and everything. Like people really, I think that's another cool thing that, you know, I'm also really fascinated with history. And I think in its own realm, you know, realm, I don't want to go all over the place, but I think one of the things like the Black Plague, you know, brought a lot of new innovations that advanced civilization to the next step. I think like Zoom was big because because of COVID and a lot of abilities to connect with people just unlocked a lot and one of the things that like you can't do you can do in person but you can do easily over like say zoom was played D, playing dungeons and dragons because all you need is dice all you need is your imagination you really need your imagination because you don't have that face-to-face value with people anymore mm-hmm. um but yeah that that's another thing i, I think there's millions more people playing D than there used to be and to be honest it pivoted from a thing that you could get a wedgie for back in the 90s to like kind of cool you know um i love that resurgence by the way but i think what's really cool about the story is is uh gary guy guess who was this kid who you know his he, he had a really old father really young mother he when he was younger he got in some trouble with some kids he was always an imaginative character and he would play like uh, like pirates with his friends all the times and he got in a big old tussle and he had that like one, like the stereotypical story. It was the Will, Miss, Will Smith story, basically got in a, in a fight on the playground and his parents were like, we need to get him out of here because this is not a good environment. He lived in Chicago at the time. So it was like back in the day when, you know, there were like booze runners and all that. So like the, the mob was pretty big active big in that community at that point but they moved to like this i think it's like geneva in uh wisconsin 
just this small town where his mother's family grew up in and his father was this old salesman who didn't really do well in life when it came to like monetarily. And he just kind of, he didn't invert. He just wasn't in like a, a big society and it allowed his like imagination imagination to run the wild. He was a big voracious game player back in the day. And I think that's like one of the coolest things about Gary Gygax that when you dig into like his story is that people think of him about D&D and that's it. He used to play a lot of games and actually Dungeons and Dragons was created off of tabletop role-playing games. So like war games. So like what you would think is risk. So like oh, well. you have units. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I was saying, oh, wow. I didn't like, I was thinking about risk before you said it, but I didn't realize it was based on, oh yeah, he, you know, previous he was, like board games. Yeah. He was way into it. It wasn't risk, but it was sim- like, I'm giving risk as like kind of a visualization for the audience, but like, you know, you would have like pewter miniatures that uh, were like the cavalry, like you could put, pl- you could place them on the, on the board and you would enact entire war battles. Like civil war was one of the big ones back in the day. And he would love all that. Like he played every game there was basically. And he, he, he learned super mathematical. It's really about what's your distance from the guy. Can the gun shoot that far? How do you move yep. your troops in a formation? It's not the storytelling exactly, but it has that it's this cool, like the, 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 the siege of battle. Like I was smart. I was being able to be tactical and actually one of the, when it was first created their uh, studio was the uh, TSR. It's actually tactical studio, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember what the other piece was it, but it was all about tactics at first, you know, uh, he was big, like his, he, he learned early on about like these games because he would play chess with his grandfather all the time. He loved chess. He played chess to the day he died. But he, he loved all these sort of tactical, cerebral, fun games. And then just over time, he would be that type of person. They used to have this model of like war games where you would write a letter into a company. It would go to like this pen pal. They would write a letter as to what they did tactically. And then they'd send it in. And they would do these war games over years, just writing line by line what they were doing. He would do it's stuff something like that. my dad did by uh, email. Yeah, oh, I, did he? <laughs> that, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to hear more about that, actually, because I, I just the thought of that, like back back in the day when you slowly wrote a letter out, waited weeks, maybe months to hear back. It was a semi-modern version of that, but it was emails back and forth. It was a Gettysburg Antietam video game. Like <laughs> oh, gosh, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. It simplified that letter writing process, but it was still that is a weird idea. I believe done. Gettysburg was also like it was also a tabletop uh, war game too that he played, um, but he would play these games every day of his life. Even when he was married with two kids, he would be at his friend's house in the basement, smoking cigarettes, drinking all night long, outside of work, and he would be at his friend's house playing these games in the basement. Funny anecdote. His wife thought he was cheating on him for a long time because he would go five, seven days a week to his friend's house, stay out all night playing games in his basement. And she came in with like her two kids knocking on the door. And then like his best friend answered and she was like, oh, what's going on? And then she went downstairs and found out he's just a madman. Who loved John, you gotta, playing games? You got to make this meme where it's the uh, the guy in bed and his wife, and he's crawled over and he's thinking about a uh, between two ravens. I bet he's thinking. <laughs> I bet he's cheating on me. <laughs> I bet, or thinking about other women. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder when two ravens podcast is going to publish next or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But it was uh, this Kyle, funny story. We should hire you as our like meme coordinator. Okay, I can do that. We don't. We're not going to give you any money, um, but like. It'll be an unofficial title that you can put on your resume. I just like you know, to we see need, we well. need Kyle to do our intro that says everybody five star, like, subscribe, write us a review because yeah, me and Sean aren't good at that. Five, five, five store. That's my, <laughs> I like to do that. But yeah, always say, yeah, right, five star review. So with, towards, towards the D&D, because so we're talking about all the like the mathematical, the very, you know, very nerdy aspect of it with the oh, yeah. storytelling side, right? It's a thing that once I, if anybody goes out and you like look at the handbook for, uh, you know, Hasbro's <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. It's far too complicated for most people. It's all this math. Who wants to be doing all this math? Oh, right? yeah. Love it. Some, but most people don't. Oh, yeah. I got into it and learned, you know, the old school revival, these different methods. They're not D&D, but people still just call it D&D because it's like the big tabletop. It's role. It's table t- t- TTPRG or whatever, the tabletop right. role-playing game. Yeah. A lot easier than saying, yeah, tabletop role-playing game. Just say Dungeons & Dragons, D&D. <laughs> it is easier. <laughs> That you can really just, you know, you don't need to do the math. You can actually just tell the story. Everyone says what they think their character does. If you can paint a good enough imaginative picture, then it works. And 
I kind of like the, talking to you because you connect to all these different topics, right? What I'm thinking, my, my metaphor, why I like this D&D topic is Norse mythology was made by the skaldic poets, right? These people who went around and they, they had the existing story of the myths, but they were also creating the story. So I'm wondering yeah. how to tie any of that into D&D as... Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, I definitely, I, I think, uh, I was actually, I think this next section, you know, the story, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of going off the cuff because there's so many fun, like, little anecdotes and stuff, I think is really collaborative in nature was he in this you know kind of tabletop gaming community that he built in like his 30s you know he became like the fan president and all that and he start used to get like all these friends and why I say it's a collaborative effort of how D&D was created essentially he would start collaborating with this guy named Dave Arneson he's the co-creator of D&D, but probably one of the most integral pieces of Dungeons and Dragons because he actually created the formula of what we know as D&D is today, which it was way more, and as I'll kind of relate a little bit here in a second, was way more like what you're talking about, that kind of like, not dumbed down, but like that sort of like basic rule set. Gary was a rules guy. He was, he basically would collaborate with him. He would give him like, hey, I have this idea for this thing. Give him like two pages of notes. And then Gary would write 40 pages of like, like how do the rule set work? Like here's these convoluted, like we need- like what, is, what is the light level? Do you have night? Right, right. It's gotten way ridiculous now with like all the like, what's your, you know, do you have low light vision, dark vision? What's your speed? What, you know, what's your encumbrance? All that sort of stuff. It was, wasn't quite like that at the beginning, but they, they worked together on essentially when he was playing a game, he was looking at like one of the miniatures and he was like, I wonder what that character story was. What would that character story look and fold on this tabletop. And that's how the hero is created in his world. And that's how they created a lot of the, the stories that would end up becoming the chain mail, which is kind of like the dumbed down version of D&D. It was basically, you know, you had this character, they had like an armor, they finally had rule sets that they would build out where it'd be like, he has an armor class, which is basically how hard is it to hit you? It was very basic, but then from there, you know, Dave Arneson, a friend of his, he would just collaborate with them. And then all of a sudden it became a narrative. Like Dave was the first one to be the dungeon master. He was the first game master of it. Like he created this story called Blackmore and he created this kind of loose, like, okay, now what do you do sort of situation where it's like, you see this thing, he would give descriptions of the environment, which eventually was like the crux of what a dungeon master does, which is kind of the appeal of D&D. And then, and then Gary just, he was like, I see commercial appeal, right, with this. Mm-hmm. Like, he was always like, what's that next step? Like, what's that next rule set I could create? And from that, he created D&D, took that idea, ran with it. Sorry, Dave Arneson. Dave was in the dust. He took that, started playing with his friends. He would have all these friends come over. He'd play it with his kids. He would, like, workshop, like, how the rules of magic would work. But at the outset, it wasn't just Gary Gygax. He didn't create it. It was like him and his core friends who would start with an idea. They'd roll to another idea. They'd say, oh man, this is great. I love that. It was a bunch of nerds saying, I love that. I hated that. Let's do more of that. And then it just like, it snowballed after that. Then he created TSR. Then he, you know, kind of got into little financial issues, a little down the way, got ousted from his company. Yeah, I think, sorry, it's I, I kind of... Because it's really, it's really hard that. to teach D&D. The question, how is it played, right? It's, it's a hard question. It's like you could read 400 pages, then you could actually try playing a game, and then you'd want to go read another 800 pages to figure out how it's played. Right, <laughs> right. And it, it keyed into that sort of like id of nerds a bit too. And by nerds, I, I don't mean it as that derogative. I am a nerd, so I can say it. No, but. it's also, I think <laughs> we're talking about Norse mythology here at uh, <laughs> yeah. 5 or 7 p.m. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, Podcasts on Norse this is mythology. What we do in our free time. <laughs> but like, but and, learning, learning it from people, right? That you, there's a dungeon master and they teach a person, right? And then, and somewhat you change the rules, you create it for your group, right? You figure out what they want. Do they want more of this mathematics? Or do they just want to sit and tell a story. Do yeah, and, and I'll kind of describe D and D for the for the listeners if they they don't have experience. I think everybody's played it a little bit <laughs> in life, but like there are the people like who've never tried it before. But it's it's, it's communal storytelling, like the rule sets. And this is something you'll actually feel now in the D and D community. 
we there have been they're on fifth edition right now, but like throughout the editions, they overcomplicated, and you're feeling them uncomplicated a little bit because the the entire story of Dungeons and Dragons went from this great idea of friends playing a game to a business. And whenever that happens with a business, you are always trying to get more and more appeal. And the way you do that is by not dumb it down, but like trying to hone hone the, the gameplay mechanics, which makes it more convoluted because then you have to have more rules and you have to learn more about how the, how the environment is around you. But you see that kind of pairing back, but back in the day, there was like four race, like four class races that you had. It was like warrior, magic user. They didn't even have clerics or thieves. It was like four, like elf and dwarf were all there was. And then the basic rules were like 60 to 80 pages. And from there, they're like, oh, now we need to add things that people would like. You know, Hobbit was one too. I can't forget that because that's a big one in the mythos of Gary Gygax because to the day he died, he wished he never put hobbits in it because it, it irrevocably linked him to uh, Tolkien and he hated that. Oh, I, th- I thought that was actually somewhat like known as the inspiration for a lot of D&D. But I guess oh, yeah. Accidentally, but he didn't want that. Yeah. He said it wasn't the inspiration and it wasn't if you loosen your eyeballs, like if you look at it, like relax your eyes a bit, like the idea really did come from an organic source, but he really didn't do himself any favor by using, using mm-hmm. you know, IP from J.R.R. Tolkien. But, but then the, the token was very inspired by Norse mythology. So I understand. The token, but to I mean. Talk on that part. I know Sean's <laughs> very interested. How are the Norse gods? How does Norse mythology, can we connect it into DMD? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, one of the big, big books that they kicked out that like people loved. And I think it just like tapped into like everybody's nerdy, like the things that people loved uh, that we're already doing, which were mythologies. So one of the biggest sellers or books that they kicked out was Deities and Demigods, which actually had not just a rundown of, you know, North mythology, you know, you had Egyptian mythology, you had Greek mythology, Roman mythology, but you also had like H.P. Lovecraft mythology. In fact, he got in trouble yeah. for putting H.P. Lovecraft. He, they basically got sued because they had used a bunch of IP that was not they were not allowed to have. Played a Superman um, and Batman in your Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> yep, yep. Except for they sold it, and that was where they got <laughs> that's where they got in trouble with it. But uh, all the other mythologies are great because the structure of a quest is so ingrained in those mythologies. They are just natural places that you can carbon copy your own like universes. A lot of the materials that sold a lot from D&D and there weren't any explicit Norse mythology sort of like adventures, like they'll create like adventure sets where you can go through this dungeon. It's all written out. What is this story, you know, in it, like the hand of Vecna, you're talking about like stranger things here, like the Vecna storyline was a quest that you could go find Vecna, find out that he's alive and go try to kill him. But what's the, what's the modern world called for fifth edition where it's, um, I know I used the map in the, I got the beginner set and it had Greyhawk. The, like middle earth, but yeah. Greyhawk, Greyhawk or forgotten realms, Cerulean. Forgotten realms. That's what, yeah. So like yeah. in the forgotten realms, they don't necessarily believe in the Norse gods probably. So that's the cool thing about D and D. It can be whatever you want it to be. So I've played sessions where, actually Neil Gaiman's sort of American gods where it's like there is a there's a Scandinavian community in blank that worshiped the the old gods or like the Norse gods and you would quest to them and then you'd encounter a bunch of like supernatural beings like Loki or Thor or Odin in your travels and you kind of get that but I think to tie it into that sort of Norse mythology is that there are these paces of a quest that are very prevalent in a lot of mythos that you can steal individual ideas and loop into your Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons campaigns. That's what I'm thinking is I got to do a bit of the, I did a little bit of dungeon mastering and I did a lot more thinking about dungeon mastering than I actually did, right? How'd you like it? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's because like then to imagine some gods, right? And you want a trickster god, right? So then you go look at Loki's page and you're like, I'm not going to use Loki, but in my world, what fits, right? And you, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think also, David, it might have been frustrating for you because people like me didn't understand the rules and we didn't take the time to understand the rules. But well, that's the, yeah, that you're asking your friends, you, know, you're, you need five friends to play D&D. Or... You don't need five friends. I actually played D&D with my brother, just Tim and me. He was the DM and I played as the PC for like three years. So 
As long as you have two willing participants, it can be fun. No, it's a different strategy, but you can totally do it, right? But yeah, that, that you need everyone to like read a hundred page rule manual. So that's not everyone's. Uh, right. Cool thing is once you get it, when those ed- later editions come by, you know most of it. Like it, it really doesn't deviate. That was one pivot that they did from Dungeons and Dragons since they use D20 now. Like everything uses the D20 system. And to be honest, if you if you look at like video games, a lot of that is based off of or inspired a lot by uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And Sean, that means you roll a 20-sided dice. Yeah, well, I got, I got that. <laughs> Probability. So, There's that math for you because that was also another thing that Gary Gygax w- thought was really interesting uh, is he hated the D- dice structure that they had because it wasn't realistic on a 100% scale. So they had like D8s or D6s, but they didn't have anything outside that. And he didn't think that was probably, <laughs> he didn't think the probability of that was realistic enough. So they used a D20 because you can compound it out of 100. So you could say the ranges and you could use a D20 for everything. So really quick, um, and I'd like to hear more about how the game is actually played. Because again, I have played it, but I might need to okay, explain like on five version. tell you a little bit about D&D yep. if you want modern that you can watch on youtube how people play it because you really have to play it to learn and yet they're watching people play it to learn is a great thing people can oh do. yeah they they yeah. got a lot too of like popular ones like critical role d20 it does a ton out there you don't yeah. need to look that good you don't you don't need to have the good voices you don't need to be as a as attractive as a vin diesel and um terry cruz doing it and frankly i the fun the most fun times i have playing D is when i'm being dumb like, and I'm not thinking about if someone likes what I'm watching, how, how I'm playing a game. It's it's me being stupid. Sorry, so really, Sean, do you want us to tell you what D&D is about? Sorry, I keep, well, yeah. I keep steamrolling you. No, 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 it's it's all good. But um, before you do that, I did actually have the page up from that book. I think you said Demons and Demigods, where I took the actual page for Loki. And I'm wondering oh, if, I yeah. sh- if I just kind of tell you about some of the stats that this um, guide has for Loki, maybe you can talk about like what that means in the scope of act- an actual game. But before we do that, how about I like outline like D&D and the role-playing kind of just mechanics real quick for the yeah, audience. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. So Dungeons and Dragons is communal storytelling where you have a rule set and I'm already sensing David hates the, the, the depth of the rule set. So David, if we ever play, I'll give I know, you a I know other sheet. people can't tolerate it. I'll, I'll, I, I like some of personally, but I know other people can't tolerate it. So. it. It is it is a bit annoying. To be honest, when I learned third edition after that, pretty much everything copied over skills set likewise. So you're really right. just learning vernacular at that point. But I, I usually play Nave. If anybody's out there wondering what does David play, it's usually the Nave, the easiest possible rule set. <laughs> it's like, I can do what I want. I'm chaotic neutral. Um, so it's communal storytelling. You have two types of people. There's the DM or GM, game master or dungeon master. They essentially which is why it's funny that Dave hates the hate the rule set because as a DM you have to like know all the rules and then more so you have to know like not only what the other characters know but like monsters and all of that but essentially they have a typically a campaign so like a story that they want to tell you can have maps you can't have maps like you you can do pretty much whatever you want with it but usually you have like a base so there are adventures out there that are pre-made I suggest you check them out you can find them at any of your hobby stores and basically you tell a story the DM or game master, the DM or GM, they basically are the narrator of the story. And the players, whether it's just one person to five people, those are the PCs or the player characters. And essentially, the DM takes the role of all the people and characters outside your player characters. They're called NPCs or non-playable characters. And you create a world. So you're often seeing something like you know, Sean, David, you both arrive at a tavern. You can see the mead flowing off of uh, off of a, a, a flagern down the way. You are parched because you've been walking for 13 days in the desert. It's this small town that you've come up upon that rests in this bowl-shaped desert landscape. The oasis you can see in the distance, but it's been there forever. You've been walking towards it for days, but you haven't been able to get there. You know that you're supposed to meet someone at this place. You know, it's very descriptive. It's elaborate to the story. And then the player characters take considerations of this. And then often the DM is just trying to prompt you to say, what do you want to do? 
and then you as a player character are creating a narrative. So it's like, I want to walk up to the bar and, and slam a gold piece down because I want everybody to know I'm a big spender. And I, I, I say beers on the, on the house. And, and it's this kind of like collaborative storytelling with an outcome, ideally, because throughout the story, you know, you have rules, right? Like you're, you, you roll dice to see if, if uh, you know, your skills go through, or if you're trying to lift something heavy, you know, you roll a dice, you're trying to like seduce a maiden, you roll a dice, like everything you do may be adjoined with like rolling to see if you succeed or not. And a lot of the fun part about that, talk about that failure and learning from your failures is that like that dice rolls a one sometimes, or it rolls really low and you don't do it and you fail. And it's, and it's kind of like, really great when you have an active dm who can like be like okay well you slap the maiden on the butt you thought it was flirting it wasn't good and now the barkeep is after you with an axe and it's just like this fun story but it's communal storytelling sean defend yourself sean the bartender's after you with an axe defend yep absolutely what do you do sean this is a little too topical um no, i'm just <laughs> yeah, um, yeah right i i run i i get the hell out of there and the game ends Yep. No, yep. Roll, roll a dice. Let's see if you ran away or did you trip on the way out? Yeah, yep, absolutely. I, I'm sure I would have ro- rolled a one. I don't have a die in front of me, but it would have been a one. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the one players- thing I can tell, it probably comes from you and your brother playing this, like, just two-player D&D that you're, like, telling the story. And then you're like, and Sean, what do you do? Like, Sean, you know, we don't have time. You're going to slam a gold piece down on the bar. It's a story to tell, and I've been caught in that too. I, I'm just going to leave, and it's like, okay, well, he chases you out. What do you do? Like, it's like I'm going to fight him. Okay, you kill him. Now, what do you do? You get tossed into the like stocks. But yeah, but the players act as principals in the story. They take on the personality, and then you tell the story interpreted through your character's eyes. It's dice based, pen and paper system. Super simple. What's cool about it? I mean, the rules. You lambast the rules. I'm sorry. I'll stop bringing that up. But um but you can get like one copy. And that was a cool thing about us. We were poor growing up. So like we saved up for one copy of a, of a book. We actually got a second for like a Christmas present, which were like the DMG and then the player's handbook. That was literally thousands of hours, uh, more than thousands of hours of, of play time. I hope that made sense, that description, but I, I didn't want to yeah. leave anyone out of that kind of conversation. I know that you did improv, I think growing I up. Think and that's you- too personal. No, well, then we'll keep it. (laughs) But I know you mentioned that like as a a dungeon master, I think, or maybe it was the playable character, like you kind of have to have that like whole yes and mentality else Mm -hmm. like the game will just like not be fun for anyone. Yeah. I mean, I think much like everything, like you want to do the thing, right? Yeah. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit and play chess. I mean, that's just not me. Right. But if you're playing a game, you should a game like this is collaborative. Like, so if you are, if you have five people and one of them's a dick, (laughs) <laughs> you're you're gonna try to excommunicate them or get them on your level oh you know what i mean like because you have to work with this person ideally this is where like the term edgelord comes in where like you have that character who and this is a trope that you see in movies but basically they don't want to help anything they're like i wouldn't do that because my character is a loner and chaotic neutral so i won't go i, I would never help you know the group in a battle and the team might just say okay well we're going to move on to the next town you're on your own and then you're busy dming a solo person which you might want to kill off which you might just say hey (laughs) if you can't be collaborative like why why are you here that's what i think that's what happened to jeff is that (laughs) is it (laughs) everyone has one but they're coachable i mean i think that's the cool thing about it is like a good creative dm can knock those people into into alignment because those are the types of characters that like they're annoying, but when you can get someone to get past their own hubris, they are fun to play with because they like, can does be. Does anybody want to bring them back from the dead? No, not really. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, we don't. We're cool. We're going to move on to the to the uh, next place. Maybe the one other thing about the rules that would help Sean understand this next part with Loki is that so you're rolling dice, but then also your character has stats. So you have all these things about your character that gives you a little better chance with the dice, kind of one way to say it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think like, the stats are pretty basic. Like this kind of evolved over time into the game, but they're basically six, six stat blocks, strength, constitution, dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. And all of them are kind of like, you know, you roll for them at the outset of the game to say like, how strong am I? How smart am I? How charismatic am I? How, 
you know, agile am I? And they help you and they can hurt you. I've seen people, you know, do both. But I think what you're going to go over here in a second, Sean, with Loki is is kind of a good insight into like what these kind of characters, like what they are, like yeah. what, what our perception is of them. I was looking at Odin's stat blocks. He's stacked. He, he has maxed. He has maxed all of those. I don't know if you had a chance to look at him, David, but basically his character is indestructible as he should because he's a greater deity. But basically, Odin and Thor. Yeah, Odin and Thor are just completely absurd. Like if you played as, oh them, yeah, just be the most absurd chaotic game. <laughs> yeah, basically, there's a rule set in here also that basically says he can tell, he can speak to anyone telepathically up to like three miles. He can make people like vomit. Like he can f- scare <laughs> people at will. Like it's just ridiculous. Like he is. This book is not meant for you to fight these people. They're supposed to be like those fun interactions where it's like you wind up on a man. Oh, but that's the cool thing about D&D. You want to fight Odin? All right. I have the stat block in front of me. Uh, He has 10 attacks with his arrows every round, and you are now dead. So good luck. Cool. Actually, before we get started, um, everybody, David uh, has to drive home. As he mentioned earlier, he uh, is recording out of the office, and I, I'm sure he's got to get home. Bye, David. <laughs> yeah, bye, David. He's already been gone. He's been gone for a minute. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, we can we can talk. Um, yeah, I think he, I know he wanted to talk to you, Kyle, about um, you know something involving like you know character arcs a little in a little bit deeper. So we'd love to have you on at some point if you want to do that at some oh, point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, anytime. But yeah, so let's go ahead and get into Loki. And again, this is the uh, de- demons and demigods guide. Do you know? Do you De- know when this deities and demigods? Deities and demigods. Sorry. So do you know when this uh, this fine. whole document was put together? Oh man, it was it was AD and D. It had to have been the eighties. Oh, so it's like early shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is either late seventies or early eighties. I'll have to check it out. I don't want to lose my spot, or else I check the front of the page. Actually, I'll do it. Go for it. Why don't you? While I'm looking that up, why don't you? Yeah, it was nineteen eighty. Um, awesome. It was well west though. I loved it. And and the funny thing is, if you look for these online, you most likely won't find the stuff that I referenced before. So I don't know if this is the the second edition of this. I think it is because I feel like they. They created it like late seventies, but the original ones, they, I think they either recalled or they stopped creating because of that J.R. or not J.R. token. Damn it. I keep Lovecraft. saying the wrong people. My yeah. H.P. Lovecraft, uh, his estate had sued because they put in intellectual properties. They weren't supposed to in it. So. Yeah. And hopefully if we, if like this podcast between two Ravens gets big, we're not going to get sued by like Zach Galifianakis or something, but I mean, <laughs> Zach, <laughs> I mean, you've changed it enough. I think it'd be fine. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Loki, I'm not sure if this is negative four armor class or if that's supposed to be four. Yeah, this is a bit convoluted with the systems. Like, so armor class was like, how I- easy it is it is it to hit you, right? As you see by the picture, Loki's wearing nothing. And with that, naturally, as one of the highest armor classes, still just be a, being a deity. Negative nine was the highest that you would have. Actually, I think maybe negative 10 but negative four was good if you were like wearing no shirt you basically had to have like armor on to have like a negative four armor class so this would be like if i hit you would my blade go into your skin or would i be able to actually hit you are you so agile or so tough that like a blade would hit you and it would do no damage. Well, that makes sense. Cause I, like, I was wondering why it said negative four. Cause you would like think that if like, it's a scale of like negative 10 to 10, negative four is bad, but it makes sense that it's take it. You make sense that it's like taking away from the attack absolutely, um, or like negative four to the attack or something. You know what? That's very astute, Sean, because most people don't get that. Most people just lambast how it wasn't the other way around where it should be higher number. And actually funny thing is, after this edition, Advanced Ninja Dragons, in third edition, they switched that rule back to be more tuned to reality, which is like the higher the number, the harder it is to hit you instead of the vice versa. Gotcha. But I did see, uh, per your point, Odin had like a negative like 11 or 12 armor rating. Oh, yeah. So I know you mentioned that he has like the highest one. Yeah, Odin would rock your shit. Like <laughs> Odin, yeah, it was negative six. Like, and that's not even the highest, but like negative six is probably one of the higher like negatives you could get in this game. But I don't want to get too convoluted in those like numbers because I don't know if like people like that in podcasting. I don't know. I don't know. Did you want to just like scroll down, like briefly go over like... Oh, I am there already. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, the next one is move. Go ahead. So the stat block... So just so you know, when we get to like the actual physical stat blocks, 25 was max. Okay. Like you couldn't have higher than a 25. And if you look at the bottom, 
outside wisdom, which makes sense. Loki was pretty much rocking 24 for every step. (laughs) Godly strength, godly intelligence, godly charisma, godly constitution. I mean, there's some fun things here. Hit point wise, he had about 300 hit points. Hit points are a lot. So 300 is high. Yeah. In, in the in the in the realm of like I roll a d8 like a typical long sword would be a d8 so like eight points of damage is the max you could do on that with your strength modifier so like if you could hit him you'd be hitting Loki all day and that's to say that he isn't like already messed you up with his magic I think one of the coolest things is like you'll see like under his special defenses immune to fire and magical control mm-hmm. so like he has immunity and a supernatural control of magic. I actually, and a plus three or better weapon to hit. So like if I hit him with the standard sword, like I am a first level character, it wouldn't hit him at all. I could never hit him with that sword. Like you have to have magic weapons to fight him. What's interesting to me, is there something like typical in the storyline with Loki that would make him immune to fire? Or is that something that... There's like a thing with Loki where he was kind of looked at as, he was potentially, like we don't know for certain, he was potentially looked at like as a fire god. Oh. Um, before like yeah. maybe like maybe like in like a very archaic raw form of like what the being of Loki became to be worshipped if that makes sense and there was I, I mentioned a story where he was uh, you know an eating contest he was actually going up against this being called Logi so Logi with a G as opposed to Loki with a K <laughs> he did very well he ended up losing technically because they ate like a bunch of chicken and like a bunch of food, but Loki did not eat the bones and Logi did. Logi, you find out at some point was the personification or the God personification of fire. So in this case, like Loki loses to Logi, but like, there's always been this like kind of a, there's potentially always been this like bond between Loki and fire, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense because his symbol in this is a flame. And I actually never knew that. I never, I actually think that's really interesting the research that went into these stories like because you have to like you'll see it with like odin the one thing i brought up to you guys before is like he had bar like odin has bard levels Mm -hmm. in his character class which i was like was odin a bard i don't remember it and i think that was one thing that you and you and david had taught me a little bit is that like oration was big with odin too well yeah yeah so he um like his whole thing was learning like anything he could possibly learn and like being like this character of wisdom. And there was this one episode where he seduces this giantess who is guarding this mead called the mead of poetry. Okay. And he wanted, he wanted this mead so he could consume it because it would give him the, the, I guess the power to speak in a certain way. Oh, this um, is Odin or Loki? This is Odin. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, sorry. I know we're getting into a different guy. But no, you're like, fine. You're fine. He theoretically could be looked at as somebody that could convey something verbally in like a beautiful way. And that's like ultimately what like the skalds did in the Viking age. They like brought this story to life, like maybe by fireside, by their words. And like, ultimately it was like a game of telephone, which is why some of the stories with gods are inconsistent. But he also sack, he also hung himself for nine days and nine nights in an effort to learn the runes, which could be looked at as like written communication. So it's all part of like, his desire to know everything and like his search for wisdom, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And actually something you'll know is like all these gods have like a ridiculous amount of levels in different classes, right? Like, so if you look at Loki, he's like a 12th level cleric and druid, 12th level fighter, 11th level magic user, 20th level illusionist, which I think is pretty telling. He's mm-hmm. he's the master of trickery, right? 15th level of assassin and five levels of monk and bard. But one thing you'll note is like, and I, maybe it's because they gave them all a little bit of most of the classes, but they are very descriptive of what is monk, monk and what is, uh, what is bard. But having that sort of like bard in there, bards as a character are like natural, like they're your minstrels, they're your storytellers, they're your orators, right? Like, so they're telling stories. So I think it's kind of interesting that all these kind of creatures, like as as the book would describe them, they are like non-human creatures, like they're gods, all have an element of that bardic flavor, right? Yeah. That oration, that storytelling. That's interesting. We can go back down it. I thought one thing about Loki. I'm like, they did my boy wrong. Putting him as chaotic evil, 
because I don't necessarily think Loki was chaotic evil because chaotic right. <laughs> evil in D and D, well maybe he is. I guess maybe like the alignment of chaotic evil. Do you know the alignment scale in D and D? I do not know. You know? Okay, so it's a nine grid. So it's like there's levels of like goodness to badness. So like good, neutral, and evil. And then there's level of temperament. So like chaotic, mm-hmm. neutral, or lawful, right? And then they go on this like nine level grid. So you could be chaotic good or chaotic evil or chaotic neutral. And they all have their own different personality types. Chaotic good are people who are like, I'm gonna do something good, but I don't know how I'm gonna do it. You know, like like it's yeah. like I'm gonna help you do this. They're the kind of like care to get stuff done for the good of people, but they are crazy about it. Chaotic neutral are like those people. It's like I'm not gonna do anything, but I'm gonna do whatever I want. Chaotic evil are like I'm just only doing evil things. Like I just gotcha, like, but I'm gonna do it whenever and whatever I want. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so I, I would kind of agree with you then. I don't think he's necessarily always chaotic evil. Um, I think he's evil when he needs to be or when he gets pissed off enough to where he wants to be. But right. there there was one story, I'm not sure if you listened to this episode, where it, we actually kicked off our series on Loki where he cuts off the hair of Thor's wife out of nowhere. Is this when he goes to the dwarves and yes. has them build? And that's how like Molnir is created, right? Yeah, yeah. So okay. it's funny because like this is like a story where the gods like benefited, except like at the beginning, he just decided to cut Sif's hair. And David and I like talked about how was this fate? Like, was this something yeah. that Loki just like couldn't help himself? Or like, what were his motivations? And so you could argue like in that moment, he like was some form of like what it seems to be chaotic evil, but like most of the yeah. other stories he kind of just fucked up by accident. <laughs> so like, um, he just like, he dug his own hole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just keeps digging that hole. I also thought was interesting about that story. Doesn't it start after the effect? Like it starts with Thor finding his wife's hair cut off, right? Yes, it does. Right. I think that's interesting because whenever you have a story like that and your narration is like, because it's different if Loki, is, if we see through his eyes, him cutting her hair off, and then all of a sudden go on this journey versus like the start of it is, and this might just be kind of like storytelling, but like the start of it is Odin finds, <laughs> finds his ugly wife in bed, like with all her hair cut off. And he's like, what did you fucking do? Uh, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, Thor's wife. Yeah. Thor's wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What'd you do Loki? And then Loki goes on this journey to kind of like do it. But like, I don't think it's bad because like, I think it is a trickery sort of thing. Like that's not evil to cut off someone's hair. You're crossing lines. Like I think yeah. Loki was, you know, he had some problems, but like that sort of like innocent kind of funny thing that happened that turned life threatening all of a sudden story, I think is really curious and how he went about getting what he wanted out of it, which was, essentially not to be killed and then at the end it was like all for not right because didn't they didn't he at the end like he didn't pony up but then he was like convinced the uh dwarves to build all those items and well, then no, that was that, that was the story but he that was but he said it's like but you can't cut my neck and that was the trick right yeah exactly and, and what's okay. really funny and i'm gonna actually tweet this because in the second part of this like little part of the book on loki that you said was made in 1980 you there's this like very funny uh image of loki running on air with his like <laughs> his shoes which we i think we forgot discuss to discuss in that episode but we like corrected ourselves in the beginning of the next episode thor is like in the water looking all pissed off with his hammer trying to get after him and <laughs> so it's kind of funny that, like we did oh. discuss this like story you know very recently but loki just happens to have these shoes that allow him to walk on water um and That's it's like great. it talks about his illusion like right here like in this in the like little character thing so it's very interesting to me so much went into the creation of this game like from all of these myths that uh i guess this guy gygax just like kind of loved like yeah. almost, like definitely more than like we do so yeah it's all storytelling and i think that's why it draws back to the hero's journey so frequently right because i think that even in loki who is like the character that no one wants to necessarily like align with or see themselves in is the hero in certain cases because Mm -hmm. you see him kind of overcome it and i think that's kind of why i tie back to like uh what i said earlier which is like it's interesting to see what the heroes were in the time what people valued in characters like this is kind of like that 
the archetype of like the the villainous hero now that you have now that like people are obsessed with like the joker character you mm-hmm. know the anti-hero right like but that's cyclical like humans yeah. have always wanted someone who's kind of like a badass who doesn't follow the rules who's who may have messed up and aren't necessarily like the arbiters of good but are relatable because that's more yeah. human you know but yeah, that's no. also in D and D. That's that's a big piece of it. Your own humanity and a character that you can play and do whatever you want. So you can be the hero and you can do the things that you you can't do in reality. It's it's very interesting that you made that connection because that's not something that I necessarily put together. But you do see that a lot with these like like superhero movies are all over the place, obviously, and mm-hmm. you see all these like flawed yeah. characters. Like they have their own like weird different flaws. Like I know we mentioned Jack mm-hmm. Sparrow who kind of is like all over the place and he's like like yeah he's He's an anti-hero he's like he's very clumsy but like he's he's hilarious and like he is the hero of that story and then you know you you just like have so many different like movie or excuse me superheroes have these characters that have their own flaws and it's kind of cool to see them overcome that right oh sorry i was gonna say even characters like 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 loki you can feel some sort of like oh that's weird isn't Loki also like the one of the last people alive after Ragnarok happens? So he, and we haven't gotten to our series on Ragnarok yet, but he Yeah, that's going to be a big one for you guys, I bet. Well, and that, that's kind of very interesting where you get into the question of like Loki and whether or not he's like chaotic evil, because like so far we've discussed stories where he seems to try to, like in most cases he try he means well, he tries to do right by the Aesir. However, mm-hmm. it kind of gets worse and worse and worse, but we, David and I think it's also because the acr kind of like still treat him like garbage but he kind of evolves into like his he manifests into like his full potential and then like he gets to that point where he may you know be chaotic evil but anyway he is like on the giant side at ragnarok and yeah and so like his offspring are involved it's it's going to be definitely a story that we discuss in the uh next few next few months hopefully but oh yeah i'm I'm definitely check that out i think there's a I think there's a lesson in there about the the character of Loki who never learns from his mistakes, but is a survivalist at heart, mm-hmm. you know, like he's survived. He's a, sur- he is like, probably if you're, if you're like boiling down mythos, a survivor. Right. And I think everybody gravitates to a survivor in some cases, you know, and even if like they do two ter- terrible things, because like, I think in this land, in this world, if we're thinking of it in the context of history, you know, survival was big. Like you probably had to make choices that weren't necessarily nice just to make sure that like your family survived, right? Um, especially if we're lo- if we're looking at like the Norse, right? And 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 like the lessons in which we're trying to impart, which is that it's that like there's good, there's right, there's honor, but then there's also something to be said about those who are survivalists. Mm-hmm. And those who can evolve to survive, and I think that's that's really interesting in the story of, uh, of Loki. That I think is very fascinating about the whole mythology. Yeah, and you know, one thing to think about, like if you were like in Scandinavia fifteen hundred years ago, it was you know still like a very tribalistic society, mm-hmm. and if there was, if like you were like in your house with your family. And there was like 10 guys like just coming to take what they want and kill you. Like they could do it. They, <laughs> they would do just it. do and it. So yeah, you do have to kind of have like that honor. You need to like do right by your family and your friends. And then like, but you also have to be like ready for that shit. And you have to like do what you need to do to survive. And that kind of goes into something else, David and I always talk about, which is like the Havamal virtues. Um, and I know I mentioned mm-hmm. Havamal earlier. If you haven't read that poem, I would definitely read it. It's like 180 stanzas. It it's it is like Odin, as I mentioned, speaking as like an old man, and he's speaking to this young, this this supposedly younger character named Ladfafnir, giving yeah. him life advice. And if you like, kind of read it, it gives us like a good indication of like what may have actually been like looked at as you know a virtuous person. So I would take right. a look at that. But no, I think that's interesting. I think all of that idea of like game theory too, that goes yeah. into humanity. Like I'm going to get you before you get me because of the fear that you're going to get me first. And what's going to help my people survive is if I make the first strike, all while balancing out humanity, rules, honor, all these sorts of human constructs we've created that helps us create societies, all being balanced in this co- 
this really crazy way. And that's what I, when I think of Norse stories, Norse mythologies, Norse stories, anything about like history, I think those are like the most interesting things. And you see it in Bravo. Bring it back to my show. Bravo. Oh my you God. see it in, <laughs> no, but you see it in people, like people yeah. acting on their instincts all the time. Like they do the dumbest things. They cheat on their girlfriends, cheat on their wives. Like, you know, they, they cheat to get in business but in their hierarchy, they have these stories of like honor. They have these like familial, familial bonds, friendships, you know, and, you know, it's kind of Game of Thrones-esque where it's like, there are certain ones of these like things we will break to get ahead and the certain ones we will never, we will never trespass on. Kyle, you fucking, movie. you fucking did it. You connected Norse mythology. And I looped it back, baby. <laughs> But no, that's that's very that's very interesting to think about. Um, and it's like I, I know like a lot of what we ta- like we started getting into this rant because of Dungeons and Dragons, which you yeah. know is us kind of role playing in those capacities as well. But um, anyway, like I think for right now, like you know, we can probably end the episode. Um, yeah, definitely, John. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for having me on. Yeah, I no, definitely. I appreciate we, you and David. Let me chat with you guys for no, a bit. Of course, we, we were glad to have you. And I know David, uh, you know, has some other stuff that he wants to talk about, which we can maybe reschedule, hopefully for the yeah, next few it. weeks. I know your time is valuable. Like we don't want to take too much time away, but it was a pleasure having you on. Uh, you know, good luck working at the same company as I do. Uh, yep. you know, good luck with the podcast and you know everything else, man. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Have a good night, everyone. Bye.